chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. Um, these are among my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs. And as I've said before, the book of Proverbs contains uh, God's wisdom, but it's, uh, it's also practical wisdom. Practical meaning something that you can practice. And, and by practicing things, we can uh, not only become better at them, but we can incorporate uh, God's ways of being and doing into um, our daily lives. And so I encourage you to uh, commit yourself to the Word of God this new year and also commit yourself to uh, the wisdom and the, and that, that God has revealed to us in the book of Proverbs. Amen. All right, so Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Now some people read this and they hear trust in the Lord with some of your heart, but that's obviously not what he's saying. Um, Trust in the Lord when it makes sense for you to do so. See, that's one of the real issues that people have with these verses is because they try to trust God only as long as it makes sense to them. And if it made sense to you, then it wouldn't require trust. Trust in the Lord when you have a problem you can't figure out on your own. That's, that's where, again, a mistake that a lot of people make. We'll circle back around to that one in just a moment. Um, acknowledge God when it's convenient to do so. Again, we can't make that mistake. Acknowledge God when it fits into your schedule or acknowledge God when you need something from Him. Follow your own path and ask God to help you. This is where a lot of God's children are today. They're doing their thing, they're doing it their way, and they're asking God to help them and to bless them. And then when their path leads to a brick wall, they claim that God's been directing them the whole time, and they blame the crash on His sovereignty. Well, again, that's broken, amen, and we don't want to make these same mistakes. Now, I said I want to circle back around to this one, and I've had this in my notes now for a few weeks, and I just really felt uh, prompted by the Holy Spirit to begin here. Um, uh, I like for things to kind of fit all neat together in a set of notes, and and, and sometimes it just doesn't work that way. So we're going to start here, um, and we're going to probably finish somewhere else, but let's at least start here. This idea of trusting in the Lord when you have a serious problem that you can't figure out on your own. These uh, are the group who think of prayer as a last resort instead of a first response. When we exhaust every other uh, available means of help and support and we look at uh, uh, someone and say, well, there's nothing left to do now but pray. And that's what I mean by those who think of prayer as a last resort. And here's the thing that I feel like is a word of, of warning as well as a word of instruction And that is, you can't just muster up trust when you need it. That's really important right there, and I'm going to spend a minute or two here, okay? Do you understand the the phrase, muster up? Amen. Uh, We we often hear people talk about, I'm going to reach deep inside myself. You know, I'm going to, you know, everybody talk about a gut check, you know. We're going to somehow draw on uh, this reserve of trust and this reserve of faith and this reserve of power and this reserve of authority that that's got to be somewhere inside of us you know that's what this concept of of mustering it up well again trust doesn't work that way Um, you either trust somebody or you don't amen 
Um, and this idea that we don't really have strong trust in someone, but then when we need to have trust in someone, that somehow we're going to find it within ourselves. The only way to learn to trust God is to trust Him. You, 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 can't, you can't learn it any other way. And alongside that thought, trust is something that's built over time and is built one step at a time. Think of faith or think of trusting in God as a spiritual muscle that gets stronger the more you use it. So don't expect your trust to lift a thousand pound problem if you've never used your trust to lift a 10 or 20 pound problem. I'm trying to break this down for you. Because I think this is the idea that a lot of people have when it comes to the things in their life that they can handle without God. And they're going to reserve, um, you know, playing their God card for the problem that they can't figure out, that they can't work out or come to a solution uh, within themselves. Now it's like, okay, we're going to turn to God and we're going to put our trust in God. And it's at that point that they find out that, that they're, they're trying to lift a thousand pound problem uh, with trust that's never, never really lifted a 10 or 20 pound problem. So trust like faith involves both strength and endurance. Again, think of it as a muscle. And sometimes we think of muscles, we only think in terms of, you know, how much weight someone can lift, so to speak, you know, the strength aspect of it. But muscles involve both the strength and endurance. And trust, faith, trust is the same way. Trust, like faith, involves both strength and endurance. Abraham's faith grew to the point that the promise of Isaac no longer staggered him. Okay, now we're talking about, we're talking about the strength of Abraham's faith. When God first spoke to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a son in their old age, they literally laughed it, it seemed uh, preposterous. I mean, it's ridiculous. That there's no way. That was where their faith started. But we see that over time, walking with God, learning from God, uh, dealing with other issues uh, as they presented themselves by turning to God and listening to God and following God, that their faith grew to the point that the Bible says that Abraham no longer staggered at the promise of God. So when God first handed him this promise that you and Sarah are going to have a son, he could not take that baton and run with it, so to speak. In other words, to try to lift it, it, it staggered him. But as his faith grew and as his faith became stronger, then the promise no longer staggered him, but it was something that he could uh, believe and trust God for something uh, of that extreme of a, of a nature. And of course we know that it came to pass. So the point is trust like faith involves both strength and endurance. So when we talk in, in terms of endurance, I think the great way to illustrate this uh, would be when Peter walked on the water. Some people say only one person ever walked on water referring to Jesus, but that's not true. 
Peter actually got out of the boat and he walked on water. We don't know how far he walked, but we do know that he walked. And if it was two steps, that's two steps more than I think any person in this room has ever walked on water. So let's, let's give a little credit there where credit is due. But what we do see in Peter's situation is that he walked on water until his focus shifted. And he then, the Bible says, began to sink. And, of course, we know that Jesus rescued him and then they went back to the boat together. But once they were in the boat, Jesus used this as a teachable moment. And he looked at Peter and he said, O ye of, and the translation here is little faith. O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? But if you go to the original language, the same word that's translated little faith could have also, and I believe should have been translated, O ye of brief faith. O ye of brief faith. Meaning what? Meaning that Peter had enough faith to walk on water, but he did not have the endurance in faith that was necessary for him to continue to walk on water. And so eventually we see that after walking on the water for however long, his focus shifted away from Jesus, the object of his faith, to what was going on around him. And when he shifted his focus to what was going on around him, doubt entered into his heart. And when the doubt entered in, he began to sink. To me, this is one of the most brilliant um, accounts that we have uh, captured in Scripture to show us in real time how faith works. In other words, as long as Peter was in faith, he walked on water. When his focus shifted and doubt entered in, he began to sink. Again, real life, real time example of how faith works in our lives. So what was, what was Peter uh, uh, lacking, so to speak? He wasn't lacking faith, but he was lacking endurance where his faith was concerned. And of course, the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. So the point being, and again, it is for everybody, but it's, this point is also specifically um, for, uh, for somebody individually uh, this morning. And, and that is, again, you can't just muster up trust when you need it. And, and, and Satan tries to deceive us with, with that kind of, of thought and thinking that, that you know, s- somehow um, when, when we, if we really get a serious diagnosis, if we really get some big issue, if we really have some problem, you know, at that point, you know, we're going we're gonna to reach deep inside of ourselves. And we're going to, again, it's, that, that, that's not how, faith is in us. Don't misunderstand me. And God gives more grace. Please, I'm not trying to, to, to leave any of that out. But remember the backdrop of what we've been talking about now for several weeks together, and that is uh, walking by faith in the Spirit. Walking by faith in the Spirit. So many times we think of faith in terms of, of an episode in our lives. In other words, we have some issue in our lives that, that requires uh, help that we don't have within ourselves. And so we're going to try to scrape together as much faith as we need to somehow overcome this issue. That is, that is not how faith works. Faith is not about the episodes in your life, but it's about the, the day-by-day walk, the day-by-day moments of your life. In other words, incorporating the Word of God, incorporating the wisdom of God, uh, allowing the, yourself to be led by the Spirit. Spirit of God, and then learning to trust Him as you follow Him in the directing of your paths. Amen. All right. Now let's um, let's go over these again. We've come to the following conclusions from this verse and others. We need God to direct our paths. Somebody say Amen to that. 
we need Him to direct our paths. Number two, God cannot direct our paths if we never learn to trust Him. Number three, God cannot direct our paths if we do things according to our own understanding. This is a huge problem right here. As a matter of fact, let me, let me give you a point to support that that we've made already. The greatest threat to God's ways producing God's results in your life is your own understanding. When God instructs you to, to do something specific that doesn't make sense to you because your understanding says it shouldn't go this way, it should go that way. We shouldn't do it this way, we should do it that way. And we've looked at different cases in the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, where people initially went with their own understanding and missed out on what it was that God was trying to do in their lives. It wasn't Naaman's understanding that healed Naaman of his leprosy. Amen? It was God's understanding directed to Naaman through the prophet. And what God directed Naaman to do was to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. That was offensive to Naaman. It offended his understanding of how this ought to go down, how this miracle ought to come to pass in his life. And again, he, he imagined it. His understanding was, if you remember this, some of you weren't here for this particular uh, message, but his understanding was that the prophet was going to come out, be impressed, make a deal, and then wave his hand over him and heal him of his leprosy. While he stayed up on his high horse, so to speak, literally and and figuratively. So again, the greatest threat to God's ways producing God's result in your life is your own understanding. Number four, God cannot direct our paths if we do not acknowledge Him in all of our ways. See, we've seen this as a a nation. As a nation, we've, we've wanted to collectively as a nation ignore God, but then expect God to protect us and help us and provide for us and prosper us and, and, and all these other things. It's like, God, we don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our homes. We don't want you in our families. We don't have time to go worship you in, in church, but you better take care of us. See, again, God cannot direct your path if you do not acknowledge him in all of your ways. The opposite of acknowledging God is basically ignoring God. Doing your own thing, your own way, until, again, you reach a problem that you can't figure out yourself. Then the fifth one is God cannot direct our paths if we insist on doing it our way instead of His. Now, I want to bring some new verses on the table this morning. But at the same time, I want you to connect them with some of the other ones that we've already been looking at. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I've given you that verse. Here's another one uh, that we've talked about a lot here of late. Jeremiah 10 and 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So we spent a good bit of time on this passage last Sunday morning, and we talked about the Word of God and the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. And it's the inward witness of the Holy Spirit where God directs you with inside information, literally and figuratively inside information, where the Holy Spirit within you and me is uh, directing us. We looked at multiple verses in the Bible where, the, where it says that the children of God, the sons of God, are, are being led by the Spirit of God. And it's the birthright of every child of God to be led by God's Spirit, for God to direct our paths in the way that they should go. But this verse is so important for us to understand that, that it's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. The way of man is not, it's not in us. Meaning what? We've got to receive that from an outside source or from someone other than ourselves. Now, from that we came to the conclusion that life is choice-driven, therefore it must be 
Spirit-led. And remember, God is trying to lead you to a place that you cannot get to on your own. And the reason you can't get there on your own is because the way from where you are now to the life that God has for you to live is not in you. You've, you've got to trust Him for that. I've, I've talked some here of late about um, a couple of books, Imagine Heaven, Imagine the God of Heaven. And there was one particular man who had a, a near-death experience and, um, and, of course, the Lord told him, he said, I'm sending you back because you haven't fulfilled your purpose yet. You, you haven't completed your assignment yet. And he kept, God kept talking to him, Jesus kept talking to him about his life's purpose and about his life's assignment. And so before he sent him back to his body, the man's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before you send me back, tell me what my purpose is. Tell me what my assignment is. I, I got to know it if I've got to go back into my body and fulfill it. And Jesus looked at him and smiled. He said, I, I, I can't tell you that. And he's like, well, are you playing some game with me? Of course you can tell me. Tell me what it is. He said, if I told you, then you would try to fulfill it without me. This year will be um, 50 years for me of walking with the Lord. I just turned 57 years old, but I was born again when I was 7 years old. I talked a little bit about that on... on uh, Wednesday night, and um, I'm not, listen, I've made my mistakes like everybody else, but for whatever reason, and it's a gift of repentance, it's the, it's the gift of, of, of God in, in my life, and, and um, but I, I've been pretty serious about living for God for a long, long time. I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> what, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, it wasn't like, okay, you know, Jesus, whatever. My, I mean, I was a dude, I carried my Bible to middle school and high school. I mean, I, you know, I was that guy, you know what I'm saying? And, um, but e- even ha- after having walked with the Lord this many years, there, there are things about my purpose and assignment that I'm, that I'm understanding more and more today than I ever have at any point in my life. I shared this with the, with the class on, on Wednesday. Um, you see, if the Lord had told me when I was 15 years old that the church that I would pastor now and have been pastoring for 25 years, that it would one day begin in the showroom of my cabinet shop at 15, I, I had no dreams or aspiration of owning a cabinet business or a cabinet shop or building. I didn't even know how to make cabinets when I was 15 years old. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? But if the Lord had shown me that when I was 15, then I would have tried at 15, not that my mom and dad would have allowed me, I would have tried to quit school and go be an apprentice at a cabinet shop somewhere. Because bless God, i got to learn how to build cabinets because this is my destiny. Are you seeing this? But there was a whole lot of things that I had to learn between 15 and 30, amen, before the business started. A lot of ministry, a lot of, that, that again, all of this is part of my story. It's a part of God's story unfolding in my life. Amen. So God's trying to lead you to a place in life you can't get to on your own. The way from where you are now to where he has for you to be and, and, and every step along the way and the people that he has for you to connect with and for you to impact their lives in meaningful ways and them to impact your life in meaningful ways. All of these things are experiential. All of these things are, 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 are parts of, of the process, amen, that, that we all need to participate in, that we all need to be committed to. 
This is why Satan tries so hard to separate us from one another. It's why he tries so hard to, to, to keep us from, from, from coming together in fellowship and in, and in oneness and, and in unity and in harmony. Because there are things in life that I'm called to do that I can't do without you. And there are things that you are put on this earth to do that you can't do without me. Amen. This is, read the Bible. This is exactly what the Bible teaches, right? And so to the extent that Satan can, uh, can prevent the, 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 the connections between God's people, between individual members of the body of Christ, to the extent that he can prevent those connections from, from, from being made and from being strengthened, to that extent he's able to, to, to hinder and negatively impact our effectiveness both as individual members of the body of Christ as well as uh, the body of Christ corporately. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? Praise God. And so, you know, here's the thing. We, we need God and we need other people. And other people hurt us. Because other people are human just like we are. Are you hearing me this morning? And, and so the alternative is, well, I'm just going to keep people at a distance. Well, if you fall for that trap, then you're falling into the trap that the enemy has set for you. You say, well, if I, if I, if I don't keep people at a distance, then they might hurt me. Guess what? They probably will. But that's why we have this beautiful gift called forgiveness. Where, where we can forgive and God can forgive. And we can move on. And grow and develop and, and, and are you following what I'm saying? Listen, maybe not every person in this room, but it wouldn't surprise me if every person in this room and maybe not every person watching online, but it wouldn't surprise me if every person watching online, when we all get to the other side, that we're going to be working closely together for whatever God has next for us on the other side of the veil. Are you hearing me? Some of you are like, oh my goodness, you mean I'm going to be stuck with these suckers. That... No, no. See, again, we're We're growing. Man, I thought heaven was going to be when I finally got away from some of these people. No, 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 no. Amen. Watch this. Watch this. It's, some of you can relate to this. Not everybody, but some of you can relate to this. Have you ever, like, your first impression of somebody was negative, almost repulsive, only to find out later that that person became one of the closest people to you? And, and again, because, see, Satan is trying to prevent these vital connections uh, from, from taking place within the body of Christ. Because the, the kingdom of God prospers in our hands, in our hands, as, as we come together and as we work together. So God is trying to lead you to a place in life you, you can't get to on your own and that you don't have the understanding of it in your heart. You've, you've got to get those directions, so to speak, those instructions from Him. And, and, from my own experience, and I think if you look at your own life experience as well, you will see that that comes in uh, parts and pieces. And when, and when God speaks to you, He's waiting for you to do whatever it is that He said to you to do. Because the next step, he's, he, once you take that step, it's going to reveal to you the step after that and the step after that and the step after that. And I've got Bible verses on this. I don't know if we'll get to all of them this morning or not. Are you seeing this? Brother Donald was, was um, we were talking about this some, some time ago, and he pointed out something that I thought was, was, was just beautiful 
connected along these lines. If you remember, Pilate asked Jesus if you're the Son of God, and, and Jesus told him, yes, that he was, right? But then when he asked him again, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say nothing. Jesus didn't respond, right? Because what? Now that Jesus had given Pilate that information, whose turn was it to do something with it? It was Pilate's, right? See, he's wanting, some, he's wanting more information from Jesus, but, but he hadn't done anything with the last information Jesus gave to him. It is very good, isn't it? Amen. Praise God. All right. So, again, God's trying to lead you to a place in life you cannot get to on your own, and God can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. Now, let's take that on. Let's, let's break this down a little further. God can only direct you because He's directing our paths, but He can only direct your path as far as your trust in Him will allow. God can only lead you to the place that He has for you in life as far as your trust in Him will allow. Now, let's go to this passage right here. Isaiah 42 and 16. Isaiah 42 and 16. Praise God. I really want you to become familiar with these verses for yourself and for your own benefit, but also as you have conversations with other people, because I believe that these are verses that the Holy Spirit is breathing on for God's people in this time, right? So Isaiah 42 and 16, this is the promise that God has made to us. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. Somebody say, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. Amen. Again, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have. Do you realize that, that someone who is physically blind can function in environments and places that they are familiar with? Somebody who doesn't even have the ability, the, 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 the capacity of physical sight can move around their home as long as nobody leaves a chair pulled out from the table. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, we can become so familiar with the paths that we've traveled that we don't even need uh, the ability to see to continue to travel in those paths. But notice what he's saying. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. If you're going to take someone who can't see down a pathway or put them in a, in a building or, or, a, or a furnished home uh, that they've never been in, then they're going to need somebody to lead them. Because it's what? It's unfamiliar. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make the darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. So think about it now for just a moment. All the ways of God require that you and I trust Him. He can only take you, He can only lead you, He can only direct your paths as far as your trust in Him will allow. Why is this? Because I think we're waiting on God to take us back down a familiar path. We're waiting on God to lead us down a pathway that we've already been down before. Old paths will not take you to new places. If you're wanting to go to new places in 2024, you're going to have to be willing to take some paths that you've never been down before. You're going to have to be willing for for the Holy Spirit to lead you in a way that you do not know yet. Amen. Meaning what? Meaning doing some things that you've never done before or doing them in a way that you've never done them before. Amen. 
And so we can, we, we can come together and, and, and sing and worship and, 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 and celebrate good things in the Bible. But the reality of it is this. If we're not going to trust God enough to follow Him down a pathway we've never been before, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for Him to make any real permanent change in our life realities. I mean, we're just getting to where the, where the, where the knife cuts the, the, the cheese or whatever we're going to say here this morning. I mean, it's where the, where the rubber meets the road, where the mustard hits the bread, whatever. Praise God. Are you following me? This, I don't know where that came from either. Praise God. All right. So again, this is what God's saying to you. I think this ties in with, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 13. That God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every temptation make a way of escape. And then in the New Testament, we see these different verses that refer to escape. Second Peter uh, chapter 1 talks about having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. James talks about falling into, falling into diverse temptations, different kinds of test trials and temptations, which by the way, he, he goes on in, in James to explain that the tests and the trials and the temptations are not coming from God. Let no man say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested, tempted, or tried by God, for God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor will he test, tempt, or try any man. What James is explaining to us is that we live in a world that's being controlled by the devil, and there is corruption all around us. And when he says we having escaped the corruption, that we won't fall into diverse temptations, he's talking about landing in a place, amen, where there is uh, temptation, where there's test, and where, where our faith is being tried. I use this like if you've ever played Monopoly or the Game of Life or whatever, you spin and you move your, your man around the board and sometimes you land on something that, you know, uh, is financially beneficial to you in Monopoly. Other times you land on a go to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200, what have you. Um, and so again, life is like that in a lot of ways. So how, how do we escape the corruption? Being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows where the traps are. The Holy Spirit knows where um, the, uh, the, the holes are, so to speak. But now watch this. Even, even if we land on one of those places in life, amen, He knows where the escape route is. He knows how to get you out of that situation. Amen. This is the God that we serve. But see, here's the thing, though, you got to recognize, and this is, this is the part where, where our understanding, God's understanding comes into conflict, because the way out is a way you've never been before. It's a path you've never traveled before. It's a way that you don't know. It's, let me say it another way, because this is the word the Holy Spirit's really been emphasizing for me this morning, okay? It's, it's, it's a way that you're not familiar with. Matter of fact, we see this in... Um, God's word translation. Let me put the same verse on Isaiah 42, 16. God says, I will lead the blind on unfamiliar roads. I will lead them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light in front of them. I will make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do for them and I will never abandon them. Now, 
God's word translation obviously uses the word unfamiliar when it says a way that you did, did not know. If something is familiar, that means it's well known. Listen to me now very carefully. We'll finish here in just a minute. Do communion. Just stay with me for a few more minutes, okay? If something is familiar to you, that means it's well known because of close association. In other words, if something is familiar, it's not just familiar because you've read about it. You could never be familiar with a new place. Let's say, let's say you want to go to Honolulu on vacation or what have you, okay? And so you read about Honolulu because you're trying to familiarize yourself with it, okay? Well, you can learn a lot about reading vacation pamphlets, all right? But you're not ever going to be familiar with Honolulu until you have extended close association with it. Are you with me? Praise God. For uh, several years now, Pam and I have gone out to the minister's conference at uh, Brother Copeland's headquarters, ministry headquarters, Eagle Mountain. And we you say Dallas-Fort Worth, but really it's Newark, Texas, is, is, is where this place is. And the first time I went out there many, many years ago, uh, this was before GPS and all, all these things, right? We're using a map. And my parents had already been before me years before that. And, and my mom and dad warned me. They said, listen, you're going to be on a road and you're going to drive for a long, long time. And at some point you're going to say, I need to turn around. This can't be right. It's right. Just keep going. Right. And they were right. It's, it's way out there. Praise God. All right. I mean, he's got a, uh, an airstrip you can land a jet airplane on. Praise God. But it's out there. Amen. Okay. Um, and, and so when we talk about something, I brought that up because... Um, it took me several times going there before I could actually find it without using a map or GPS. Are you, are you following me? Because no, the hotels aren't near there. <laughs> are you following me? All right. So to get from the hotel to that place, second time I'm out there, I need a GPS. I'm asked, I've been there before, but I'm not familiar with it. I've been enough times now, I've had enough and consistent close association that it's become familiar enough now where I don't need a GPS to get to Kenneth Copeland headquarters. Are you following me? Yes? Okay. So when we say something is familiar, we're not just talking about, like sometimes we look at somebody and we go, man, that face is familiar, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that you know because you have had close and consistent association with that thing, all right? Now, why is this word familiar so important? It's important because we get a sense of comfort. Listen to me now, please. Praise God. We get a sense of comfort and we get a sense of control from things that are familiar. We get a sense of comfort and we get a sense of control from things that are familiar. Now, it could be different where you grew up, but here in Hueytown, okay, um, in, in, in the days when I was in, in school and even with my children, we had multiple elementary schools that all fed into one middle school. So you would go from a school that maybe had two hallways to a school that had 14 hallways, right? Anybody relate to this? It was like one of the, you know, rites of passage as a kid and one that was like, you know, facing Goliath almost, you know moving from the little small elementary school to this big 
uh, middle school. A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress for a lot of, a lot of students making that. Why? It's because we're going from something that is familiar to something that is unfamiliar. It wasn't until my kids were in school that somebody had the bright idea, hey, why don't we open up this school before the first day of school and let parents bring their kids in here and kind of walk around the hallways for a few minutes and find out where everything is. Man, when I went to Pittman Middle, it was Pittman Middle School in those days, Hueytown Middle School now, I mean, opened up the bus door, you got out, and here's a sea of kids, right? And you're trying to find your homeroom. I mean, it's like, I don't even know, you know, I mean, just kind of walk in, start, you know, an upperclassman banging into you and laughing at you and all sort of stuff, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was very uncomfortable, right? In other words, the more familiar we are with a situation, the more comfort and the more control we, we seem to have in that situation. The less familiarity we have, the less comfort and the less control. So familiar, familiar gives us a sense of comfort and control, right? Yes. And guess what? Our flesh loves comfort and control. Our flesh loves comfort and control. So now God is saying, hey, I got something so much better for you in life. Come, come follow me. Oh, okay, God, where are we going? You realize God knew where he was taking Abraham, but when God asked him, Abraham asked him, God said to Abraham, I'll tell you when we get there, son. Now, is God, is God being mean? No, he's not being mean. Because he knows that if Abraham never learns to trust him, all that God has for Abraham to accomplish, experience, and enjoy in life will, will at best be marginally experienced and enjoyed in life. He's got to learn to trust him. And so Abraham said, let's pack up and, and, and let's go. And he followed him to a place that he didn't know. Did Abraham regret it? <laughs> no. And no one who has ever followed God to a place that you didn't know when you started the journey has ever regretted it. Am I right about this? Never regretted it. No one's ever followed Jesus to their wealthy place in life and said, I can't believe you took me here. Never, right? But our flesh loves comfort and control. So notice now, comfort and control do not jihaw with unfamiliar. Are you seeing this? It Let me read this last thing and then we'll, uh, we'll get on to what's next and we'll pick this up next week, okay? I'm going I'm to read a passage to you as a matter of fact. This is from uh, my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction. And I'll put it up on the screen and read. You can read along with me if you'd like. When things got hard, it's an excerpt. When things got hard for God's people on their way to the land and life God promised them, they wanted to go back to Egypt. This is particularly interesting to me since they were slaves in Egypt and horribly abused there. Why would they want to go back? As bad as it was, Egypt was a familiar place with familiar surroundings. It was the only home and reality they had ever known. The, the familiarity of Egypt made them feel safe like a child security blanket that, in reality, provides no security at all. They knew what to expect in Egypt, and that gave them a sense of control, especially when compared to the great unknown of a promised better life. I have witnessed this to an extreme in men released after serving long prison sentences. Some agonize over life outside of prison and would rather go back than face the uncertainty of adjusting to the unknowns of a new life of freedom. 
I've also seen women stay in or go back to abusive relationships, choosing what is familiar over the uncertainty of something better. Your own understanding prefers familiar over unfamiliar and what is known over what is unknown, even when familiar and known is bad and unfamiliar and unknown promises something better. Come on, Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, praise God. So do you see what, do you see, I'm trying to make it plain for you this morning. Do you see what we're up against here? Okay. God's got something better for us, but to get you there, he's going to have to carry you down a path you've never been before. And that goes against familiarity, which goes against comfort and control. Abraham had to step out of his comfort. He was, I don't know what his life was like in, in Ur of Chaldees, but he had a lot of family there. He had a lot of connections there. It's where he was from. He knew how to survive there. He had made it to a certain point in life, surviving, perhaps even thriving. But now God says to Abram, I've got something better for you. Um, but it's going to require you leaving here and following me to there. And he says, uh, okay, I'm in, but can you tell me where we're going? And God says, no, but I'll let you know when you get there. We, we sometimes think that was like an easy decision for him to make, but it was not. It was not. Put yourself again in his shoes for a moment. But notice now, what did he do? He chose to get out of his comfort zone. And he chose to get out of a a place where he had at least some level of control over his life and outcomes. See, to really trust God, we've got to do the same. Amen. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Okay, praise God. The men who are serving communion, if you would come, praise God. I want to pray over this word. Um, and then we'll be served communion. Praise God. Thank you for hanging in here uh, with us this morning. Um, um, when you're served communion, if you're served first, if you would hold your emblems until everyone is served, and then we will um, partake together. But let me, uh, let me pray over this. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us, helping us to understand, lay hold of, connect with in a meaningful way. Father, show us individually where we've chosen comfort and control over the promised better life that you're trying to get us to and help us to surrender to you and trust you, Father. If it's just a 10-pound or a 20-pound problem, Father, let's, let's start there because you're wanting to grow us 